You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and an encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. Acts chapter 15 this morning. If you're new to our church, or maybe today's your first, your first we're, we're, we are taking a slow walk, walk through the backs, and, we, and we've been for, uh, I don't know how long, I've got to look back at it, but let me tell you what we're doing. What we've been doing is looking at God's intention and plan for His church. What can be done, this is what the whole book of Acts is about, what can be done when the people of God are in surrender and yieldedness to the Spirit of God, and they're in unity with one another, and they are focused on obediently follow God in this world. This world. Well, let me tell you what the Bible tells us. It tells us a little spoiler from the road here in Acts chapter 17. We're going to, that it was said of these apostles, the men who turned the world upside down. And they, they turned the world upside down simply because they were men, not powerful men. These were, these were fishermen. These were not orators and great preachers. These were not, these were not men who had uh, great ability. These were men who had God's ability. And what we're finding out in this book is what can happen when God's people make themselves available to God and let God work through them, with them, together as a church family, what God can do with his people in the world. We remember when Jesus had told the disciples, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, he used that word in the old King James, it's the word ye, that is a singular word, that is not the plural word you or or the group, he was speaking individuals. He was saying, Peter, you go and take the gospel, Andrew, you go and take the gospel, and he's saying, Dean, you go and go and take the gospel, all the world to every creature. When, When Jesus left the disciples on the Mount of Olives, he said to them, after this, the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you, and you shall receive power. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Judea, and into the uttermost part of the earth. You're, you, you are going to take the gospel from Jerusalem to the deepest, darkest places of, of pagan, heathen, barbaric lands, and you're going to walk into those places of darkness, darkness with the good of the gospel. And here's what he said, and I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to go with you. Well, they thought, well, that's nice. And they went back, they went back to Jerusalem and Jan, and they got some church business done, and they elected a 12th of apostle, Matthias, and had a 10-day prayer meeting. And when the day of Pentecost fully came, the Holy Spirit of God came upon that place. <laughs> they were all in one accord, in one place, heart, and the Spirit of God, Spirit of God came upon them, filled them with His Spirit, and they went out, preached, and 3,000 people, remember that? Acts chapter 2. 3,000 were saved and baptized. And then 5,000 in Acts chapter 4 were saved. By the time you get to Acts chapter, by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, there are, there are nearly 100,000 people in this church. Multitudes were being saved day by day by Josephus, the historian, tells us that the church of Jerusalem had nearly 100,000 converts. And then they got to thinking, you know, maybe we better go out to the Gentiles, Gentiles like Jesus told us to. So they sent a deacon. They always send deacons on errands. You know that? 
We don't want to go. So Philip, you go. And Philip went down to Samaria, and he preached the gospel there, and the whole city got saved. And uh, word came back that the city got saved, and they, could, and they couldn't believe it. So they sent him down there, and he went down there with John, with John, and they went and laid hands on and they saw, they saw the, the work of God area. But then God took, took Philip from a city rival and took him out in the desert, desert to win one man to Christ, the CEO of Ethiopia. He was a treasurer for, for the queen. And he was out there, and he was out there in Jerusalem to worship. He was reading scripture, didn't know what the Bible was saying. Philip went, Philip went over there. God still talked to that man. Have you ever been somewhere? And God said, God said, go talk to a person? Have you been obedient? Uh, sometimes I have, sometimes I haven't. I can always tell when I'm filled with the Spirit of God, because I'm filled with the Spirit of God, I'll, I, I'll talk to anybody. Well, the days that I'm not walking in the Spirit, and I'm not full of the Spirit, full of self, I thought, well, maybe this isn't a good time. I mean, there's times I get, I get on an airplane, and I sit, and I want to talk to the guy next to me, and boy, I'm, I'm in the Holy Spirit's telling me, you need to talk, talk to that guy. Well, he's got his buds in. Well, pull him out. Talk to him. <laughs> Talk to them. There are days I'm filled with the, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm up the stewardess and said, can I make an, make an announcement? Uh, folks, if we're going to go down, that, that listen, that, that, that life, life jacket under your seat isn't going to do a thing over Kansas. So let me tell you what you need. I've got a life-saving device. It's the gospel, gospel that you preach on there. And, and, uh, but listen, what, this church was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They were taking the gospel, gospel everywhere. They'd explode, expect, except, except where, where God them to take it to the uttermost parts of the earth, to the earth, to everybody, to every creature. Remember, they began to have a little problem with Gentiles coming into the church. God saved Paul, and God, and God said, Paul called you to go to the Gentiles, and but sometimes we read, we read the book of Acts so quickly that 10 years had, had passed from the day of, day of Pentecost until Peter was on the rooftop in Joppa, and God, and God was sending him to Cornelius' house. It took 10 years for them to get just down to Caesarea. 10 years before, before Peter had vision of unveiling God's plan that Gentiles can be saved, be saved to. And so there's this great work that's happening and there's a struggle in the church. There's a, stru- there's a struggle with these Jewish Gentiles being saved. And here comes the, comes the apostle Paul. And he was a, was a wild-eyed lunatic. He wanted to tell everybody. He just thought everybody should hear the gospel. And so Paul was going everywhere. He went to Antioch, and then he went over to Crete, and then he went up and sailed up over to, uh, to Asia, and he walked up through those mountains over to Antioch up there, and then he came down to Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and they said, let's go back and find out all these people. I said, why, I said, why are we going back? You just got in there. Well, let's go back. I want to go, go back and see him again. And I can visit all those believers. He, he was a courageous Christian. Just thought, you know what? Uh, everybody needs the gospel, no matter what the cost the cost. And uh, word came back. He, th- he thought everybody was happy about it, but they, they weren't. He knew better. They were all Baptists. <laughs> you say, how do you know? You know they were Baptists. Well, they were all baptized um, by immersion, and, and uh, they were baptized by immersion, um, and, and they, had, they had, we hold to as, as Baptist doctrines, doctrines of salvation, faith alone, and, and, and those, but I know they're Baptists because they didn't, they didn't like ch- I know that because they, they did not like people who weren't like them coming into their church. <laughs> uh, somebody took my seat. Somebody sat it, pastor, over here, over here. This guy right here sat, this sat, doesn't he, oh, this is my seat? No, this is, well, can, can he move? 
<laughs> Somebody took my parking space. One day, uh, it was long ago, one of the, uh, we had an evangelist here, and, and we were driving through, the, and I was showing him the property, and he said, hey, I said, hey, I noticed I have a parking space with signs that reserved for pastor. I said, that's right. He said, that's, that's very humble of you. I said, oh, no. I had nothing to do with it. After the things that I, I preach, I don't want anybody to know where my car is. <laughs> I said, you have to be a, be a compromise and have your, everybody know where the pastor's car is. So, uh, uh, I want to be able to sneak out when, I, when I'm done, when I'm done. Anyway, so here was this church. I mean, it was, there was this uproar, and Paul comes back to Antioch after this missionary journey, and back to this church that had sent him out where God had been to work, and there was trouble there, trouble there. One of these devout Jewish men from the Jerusalem church that came and began to tell Gentile believers, you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. You have to completely commit and convert to Judaism and be a Jewish proselyte and submit to the whole law of Moses and in Jesus too. And boy, these people were troubled by that. Now think about this for just a minute. Okay, think about this. These were Gentiles who didn't really know anything about the Old Testament. They didn't know Abraham and all the Old Testament law, these were, these were pagan people. These were heathen people. And so all, so all of a sudden, they had a guy that gets to church and says, oh, and by the way, there's another thing that you have to do to be saved. You got to go get circumcised. And boy, Paul didn't take to that. And I'm thankful he didn't. Paul fought that. And there was great dispute. There was no, was no small dispute. It was an old-fashioned, wild-eyed church fight. Wouldn't you like to have been there? I thought the Lord did not record minutes of that meeting. But I'm glad that those men fought for this and that they took hand under such hostile things. Because could you imagine what our, what our hymns would sound like to that they compromise? Amazing circumcision, how sweet the sound, the sound that saved a wretch like me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the law of Moses. Well, that'd bring a joy to the service, wouldn't it? And so these men are having in Antioch, and they decide, let's send them to Jerusalem and have a council, and let's figure this out. So they send Paul, Paul and Barnabas down there, and Barnabas come, and I want to pick up our reading, our reading this morning in verse number. In number six, and the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good ago God made choice among us that, that the Gentile by my mouth should hear the word gospel and believe. Remember, what is the gospel? What does gospel mean? Somebody yelled out to me, What does gospel mean? It means the good news. I mean, that when those guys stood up in the church and said, hey, let me give you some good news. Go get, go get circumcised. And, and here's the law of Moses, 613 commandments. Can't carry a fig on the Sabbath. Boy, that, that, that brought joy to the assembly. And Paul, God by my mouth, one mouth wanted to declare the good news and leaving 
to the Gentiles. Number eight, and God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Unto us. No difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why to put a yoke upon the neck of disciples, disciples, our fathers, nor we were, we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Then all the silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, Dames answered, Simeon and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon had declared how, how God at that first did visit the Gentiles to take, take out of them a people for his name and to agree and to this agree the words of the prophets as it is written. After this will I return and build again the ten the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down and I will build the ruins thereof and I will, and I will set that the residue of men might seek, seek after the Lord. All the Gentiles upon, upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, Lord doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. Therefore, this is James now, my senses or my, my, my judgment on my conclusion on this, that we trouble them not, them not which from among the Jews are turned to God. But that we write unto them that they abstain from pollutions of idols and from fornic and from things strangled and from blood. For Moses of old time hath in every city thee preach him being read in the synagogues today. Then, then pleaded the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. Now we're going to stop reading right there, reading right there and we're going to, we're going to walk through this because I want to show you, show you to, we saw a dispute that happened in Antioch and how the prophet had come there and they sent, and they sent them down to Judges Council. And I want, to, I want to speak this morning on the great debate. And what we're going to learn in this great debate is how, is how people and how the church sol- solves its problems. I hang among our staff I've had for years when people join the church and man, the staff, staff will get together and say, man, in the signing, we had, we had, we had a, a great number, but we had over 550 in, in, in church on Sunday or man, we had a, the church is growing and these people joined and man, it was, it was exciting. And I always say, more people, more problems. And I rejoice in it. Don't wrong, I rejoice in it. But you, under, you understand that whenever you put people in the same room, there's going to be problems. And, and one of the great things that churches need, need to understand is how do, you, how do you solve problems between God and God's people? This is not a day and an age where the church standing around, t- taking it with debate and spend, spending its time in, in liberation and spending, spending its time with one another when the world needs to hear the gospel. The churches need to understand that when problems arise, we have a way to solve them so that we can, so that we can get business at hand. And this is the business that we must be about our father, our father's business said, even as my father sent me, even so send I you. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. The church is to be the foundation and pillar of the truth. It is taking the gospel to the world. And that's the believer's role in the church. And, church. and so there's this debate. Paul and Barnabas arrive in Jerusalem, and that had to be an amazing thing. Paul had many friends there. Barnabas had many friends back there, and they came in, and man, there was, there was a wonderful, wonderful welcome, I'm sure. But there was also a very cold reception for them. 
Verse number five, there arose a certain of the sin of the sect of these which believed, saying that it was needful for them to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so there was always already a tension in the air when Paul and Barnabas were there. The Jewish church was an austere church. It had a strong, long legalistic side, and I don't fault them for that. These were Jewish believers that had been raised and raised of Moses. They had been taught the way of God from the Old Testament. And they were keeping the law to please God the only way they knew how, knew how. But the truth of the matter is, the law had, had in their hearts, in the Jewish community, the law had not fulfilled its purpose. The purpose of the law was never to save anyone. God never intended to write the law for that law to be a way of salvation. No one has ever been saved by keeping the law. God wrote the law of Moses on Mount Sinai, gave those Ten Commandments, gave them the law on how the Jewish people were to live. God gave them that law, and he clearly tells us, even then in the book of Exodus, he told us why he did it, to show them this, this burden and this stony tablets of weightiness on the righteousness of God, and that no man in his own effort could ever live up to the righteousness of God. There is no end to the law. And the law was to be a schoolmaster to bring them to, bring them to Christ. i tell you something. The whole law of the Old Testament was to, br- to bring the Jewish believers into a more understanding of the necessity and intimacy of sacrifices in the tabernacle. It meant meaning to them when that blood from a lamb, a lamb was shed. The priest took that lamb, that blood of that lamb, and he took the, took the body of that lamb and committed it on the altar. And he took that blood into the Holy of Holies and, and presented it to God so, so that he could atone for the sins of the people. The law of God was to bring a great measure and great understanding to the mercies of God. That could be atoned. It was never to cause a lifted in pride and saying, I'm a law keeper. And I'm going to find fault in everybody else. It was to men understand the magnitude of the mercy of God. That shedding of blood, the remission for sin. The law declared that I was a sinner and the blood declared that God was a forgiver. The, the law was the schoolmaster to bring men into Christ. But in our fallen nature, what did they do? They wrote the, they wrote the oral law. They began to the oral law and then write it down. <laughs> they had 613 laws. In addition to what God gave. We weren't doing good with 10. I mean, you remember, remember Moses is the first guy that went up in the mountain and downloaded, downloaded information from a tablet. And then he came, came down the mountain. Let me tell you something. By the time he got down, these things were fresh off the presses, and they had already, already broken them. Moses broke all the commandments. He threw them down and broke them. He said, I, I just got this from the mother of God, and you've already broken this law. Remember that? Remember that? They never kept it from the beginning. They had never kept it from the, be- from the beginning. And so now they're putting this burden on the Gentiles. Here's this hot potato. We can't keep it. Here you do. Here you do it. So what do you do? Well, 
they go into a debate. I told you last week that when Paul came to Antioch, there was a serious division. And then when he came to uh, uh, Jerusalem now, there was serious debate. But I want you today very quickly, the spiritual direction that they took. When debate came in, listen to me, when debate comes into a church, it, ta- it takes spiritual-minded people to find spiritual answer, answers to today's problems. So what, do, so what do they do? Well, here's what happens. After Peter, and by the way, those are not, not usually two words, you same sentence, and patiently. After Peter, Peter patiently heard both sides of the debate, he finally spoke, finally spoke. And here's what he said. He said in verse number seven, verse seven, men and brethren know how that a, that a good while ago God is among us, that by, that by the, the Gentiles by my mouth, mouth should hear the gospel and believe. He said, now you remember that God chose me to go take the gospel to the Gentile, and I did. And he begins to lay out what God that day. Look what he said in verse number eight, eight and God with the hearts, bear them witness giving them the Holy Ghost, even as, even as he did us. He said, guys, do you remember the day of Pentecost? Do you remember when we were praying and we didn't understand what God, and what God was doing? We weren't, they weren't in the room praying from fresh anointing. They weren't praying for the gift of the, gift of the Holy Ghost. They weren't speaking in tongues. They, they weren't praying for any of that. They were praying for the will of God. They were praying in surrender and seeking God. Seeking God. Go back and read what they, was, what they were praying for in Acts chapter 1. And when the day of Pentecost fully came, God, in fulfillment of the Old, the Old Testament feast, God sent the Holy Spirit. That's what the day of Pentecost was about. We went through that. Go back and listen. We went all through that. And the Holy Spirit came and baptized them into one, into one body, one loaf. They were anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. And that church now, under the power of the Holy Spirit of God, began to do signs and wonders. That were signs, signs to the Jewish people, speaking in languages, Jewish people who were from all nations of the world, of the world, they spoke in languages. They were not speaking, speaking in sunny tongue. They were speaking in, na- in natural languages. The Holy Spirit was giving interpret- interpretation, men's heart, to hear the wonderful works of God. And the result of that was 3,000 3, saved. Now, people have taken the, the gift of tongues and perverted it today into, into something more than what God intended it to be. It was a sign to, to the Jews. It was a sign, sign those that believe that, that these had been saved, so, and there was this sign. And Peter said, do you remember when God gave the Holy Ghost? Well, then, 10 years later, God cho- chose me to take the gospel to Cornelius' house, and I went into those Gentiles, and I preached the gospel, and while I was preaching, God gave witness that they had been saved, because the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues. Just like we did. Evidence and a witness to all of us. God was witnessing. Because remember, tongues were a sign, were a sign for the Jews. And he, and he said, God gave a sign to all of us that, that they had received the Holy Spirit just like we did. And God saying, they got it. Uncircumcised and all. They got it. And by a heart that's been purified by faith. And Peter said, don't you remember that? God gave them witness. And then, look what Peter warned here. 
He said, verse number 10, he says, now therefore, why tempt ye God? Why are you putting, putting God to the test? Why are you holding God under such examination? If God has already declared that he's given them his Holy Spirit, why are, you, why are you testing God by saying they need more? Hey, listen, when God made salvation by, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, it is temptation to God for us to add anything to that. And Peter rebukes them. Why are you tempting God? By the way, he said this to these Pharisee believers, these hardline Jewish believers. He said that because one of the great laws, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And man, Peter said, you're tempting God with this. You're putting God to the test. And then he said, you're putting a yoke in verse 10, verse 10, in the neck of the disciples, which there are fathers know we were able to bear. You know, this is Peter, Peter being totally honest. You're taking the yoke of the Old Testament law and you're putting on the neck. Now, a yoke is a steering piece that was put onto animals to help them plow. This yoke that teamed up animals together to help them plow. And the, and the yoke of the law was way for Israel to be yoked to God. That they, that they were his people. They belonged to him. They were yoked up with, up with God. But it was an iron yoke. It was a yoke that, that nobody could bear. It was a yoke that, that Israel fell under and fell under and fell under and fell, under and fell under. in their entire history, history. Peter said, our fathers couldn't do it, but we can't do it. And now you're going to go tell them to do it? You're putting a yoke upon them. Can, can I tell you? Nobody has ever been able to be saved by keeping the law. So he said, and I want you to underline this verse, this verse in your Bible. He said, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who became, listen to me, he became the yoke bearer. He became the law bearer. He became sin for us. He who was the righteousness of God, of God who had fulfilled to its very letter. Jesus became as the righteousness of God. He became the sinfulness of man. And he died for, to deliver us from the yoke of the law, to make us stand in his, his grace. And he said, but we believe that by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, watch, watch what he said, we shall be, shall be saved even today. Peter said to these Jewish people, people hey, you know, we, we, we're, they're going to be saved like, uh, like us. He said, no, we're going to be saved like them. In our sin, in our sin, in our unclean condition, in everything in our lives that is unacceptable with God, come to Him and He accepts His grace. What is what is grace? It is something that is totally unearned and undeserved. I get all God's goodness by doing nothing. And Paul, Peter said, they get saved like you got saved. Sometimes it's really easy for us, especially those of us who are second, gener second generations, and we went through Christian schools, and we've kept the law, obeyed the rules, we grew up as good boys and girls, we went to Sunday school, we, we, we did our lowering sheets, we've learned how Christians walk and talk, act and dress and sing, and we've got all these details figured out. It's a little hard for, hard for our consciences when people not like us come in, come in and we, how can they be saved when they're not, they're not like me? Don't they understand we, we, we wear that to church? Don't they understand that we don't talk like that? 
I led a guy to the Lord to go here in our area, and he, te- he texted me a couple days later. He said, Pastor, I'm reading the, the Bible. Like a college-age kid. He said, I'm the Bible, and I've been reading about Nick Demos talking to Jesus. You know, you told me to read through the Gospel of John, so I'm reading, reading through the Gospel of John. And he said, I'm reading this, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and Jesus, man, he was a blank. <laughs> I, look, I looked at the text, I said, I would say that, but I'll amen it. <laughs> and then his next text was like, I'm sorry I used that language. And I thought, that's the Holy, Holy Spirit. Somebody was in him saying, in him saying hey, probably not the best way to describe it. But I liked it. I heard about a preacher that got saved out of a rough life. He was a young preacher. He got saved out of a rough life in an old church in Texas. Called him to be the pastor. And he was a pastor. And he got up. And he got up. And he was preaching there for a few weeks. And he got preaching. He's preaching. I hate the old, old devil. I mean, this guy saved out of sin and ungodliness and brokenness. And he, I hate the devil. I hate the devil. And but he was preaching about the devil. And he said, I hate the devil. And all of a sudden, he just kind of got lost in his message. And he started, the old devil's a blankety, blankety, blankety. Well, he began to cuss and cuss and swear and say all kinds of things. And he stopped. He realized what he'd done. And he closed, closed his Bible. And he just walked off and walked out of the church. And the church sat in stunned silence. <laughs> and an old wise deacon got and said, Folks, I, I don't think we should hear that kind of line of language. Some of those old gray hair on their head. I want to tell you, that's how I feel about the de- devil. And if our pastor feels that, feels that way about the promises not to say those things again, I think we ought to bring him back and give him a raise. <laughs> it's easy for us who've, us who've had our... Who've had all of our upbringing? I want to tell you, I grew up in a, in a pastor's home. I've seen of godly parents and Bible teaching, and I've watched Christian living lived out in front of me day by day. And I can tell you that through my years of coming up, my conscience, in many ways, has been has been bound. There are things that are exceeding. There are things that I have been taught and trained in that we just don't do. And I want to tell you, as a Christian. Uh, there, it's, it's, it's easy for us sometimes to sit back in our protected world in the way that we've been brought, and brought up in local who are coming out of the viciousness of sin. I was a little boy when Jesus saved me. I heard testimonies of people who God saved them out of the gutters. My own saved out of the gutter. I've never tasted alcohol in my life. I've never been high on drugs and an illegal drug. I heard testimonies of people saved out of the ravages of sin and of sin. And I remember sitting, sometimes doubting, am I saved? I never did those. I remember wrestling with my salvation. I remember as a 16-year-old boy, I was telling him, driving down the road with my dad. I said, Dad, I wish I had your testimony. Then I would know. My dear old dad pulled that car over with tears in his eyes. And he said, oh, dear God, son, is that what you think? You think that it's greater for God to save a man out of a life of sin than it was to save a young boy from a life of sin? God has delivered, delivered you from sin through Jesus Christ just like he delivered me from sin through Jesus Christ. 
And from that day forward, I thank God for my testimony. But I want to tell you something. It's easy for us to sit back as young people who've grown up in church and lived all this and to look at people who come to wars. And they've not had what we've had, we've had and heard what we heard. And they're hearing the gospel for the first time at 35 and 40. They're hearing it with, with still hungover from last night. It's easy to sit back and say, you know, I, you know, I think they're up first. Peter said, purified their heart the same way he purified our heart by faith. God saves men by grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's the gift of God. We, we will be saved like, like them. If you're going to come to God for, for salvation, you're going to come as a sinner, knowing, knowing you're a sinner. N- nothing in you that God accepts, knowing that everything about you and, and every God's law, he rejects. And that everything about you is an enemy to God. And in his grace, Jesus stepped in between the holiness of God and the depravity of man. And he bore our sins and conquered it at Calvary and came out of the grave to offer us eternal life. Grace alone. I'm standing here today as a sinner, as a sinner, as a sinner, saved by God's amazing grace. Peter took them back to back to the gospel. We are like them. I've got to be fair, but listen. You sat down. And then Barnabas and Paul. Now then Paul and Barnabas, Paul and Barnabas. Now all of a sudden the Bible uses Paul. And they get up in the Bible to record their speech. And I'm glad it was because a lot of times Paul was long and long in speaking. <laughs> Some of you that think, man, Pastor, you, you need to cut down a little bit. Lutherans are beating us to the buffet every Sunday. <laughs> the Lord doesn't record the speech. The speech it says that Paul and Barnabas got up and declared what miracles and wonders God and wonders God. God loved to have heard that. You just Barnabas say, "Hey, listen, we we were there in Antioch, and I brought Paul in, and boy, did he he! I didn't know what to do with the top believers, and God put Paul in my heart, and I went and got him and brought him down there. And man, did he un- did he begin to expound the scriptures to these people who'd never heard? Revival took place. Antioch had it was thriving, and then." Holy Spirit sending us out, and we, we took off. We went over to we went over to Sidon. Man, we, we went to my hometown, and we put gospel there. Barnabas said, you know, we, we went over there to the, the other side of the island. We met this Roman leader. He was a intellectual, Pergius Solid, or uh, uh, yeah, plus, remember, we, we, pre- we preached to him, and we to hear about it, but they, he, had, they, he had this sort of this Jewish sorcerer that kept getting in, the, getting in the way and interfering with the God. Paul, tell him what you did. Paul, Paul said, I'll tell you what I did. I said, guide him. It was an offense to everybody there, and he said, I, I said, try to take him on blindness, and he did, and he walked out, he walked out looking for someone to leave, leave. and then Sergius, Sergius Paul was saved, and then we caught a shut up. Went over, went over into Turkey, and we went over those mountains, got up there into Antioch, 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 Antioch,
I got in Midian. Paul said, I was preaching, and I looked over and saw this crippled man, and I said, hey, you want to be healed? Yeah, I want to be healed. Stand up in Jesus Christ and walk, and all of a sudden, I did this miracle to show them that Jesus, who could make, who could make men walk, can also make sins, and he, he said, I did that, did that, but they started Started trying to work, trying to worship us, sacrifice to us, and saying that Barnabas was was Zeus and I was Hermes, and I mean it was it was this, and we're like tearing our clothes and telling them stop. We're men like you, and and they were like okay, and they tried to listen to us, and then all of a sudden these Jew, these Jewish people showed up, and they went and they went from they went from throwing rocks at us, and uh, we went down to Lystra, stoned. They thought he was dead, and then he got up and walked back in the city, and he said, I went back, and I went back in that city, and I was, but I preached, and man, a bunch of people got, got saved. We stayed there, for them, and they ran us out of that town. We went down to Derby, and boy, God had gave us great ministry in Derby, and we were going to just jump over the, the, the bay and back home to Antioch, but Paul said, I just got put back on my heart to go back and confirm souls and see how those people were doing, so we went, so we went back through all those and man, can you imagine hearing, hearing Paul talk about all the wonderful things that we don't even know that had happened? They were telling this testimony. And we're going to really see what happened and in the, in the, how, how, how this really was in this Jerusalem, Jerusalem church. Very, very quickly. We're almost, almost done. Watch this, very, watch this very quickly. Twelve, then all the multitude kept silence after, after Peter gave obedience to Barnabas and Paul and the, and the, the miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And they told the whole story. And watch this, watch this. After that, they held their peace. They heard all these, heard all these wonders. The church would, would have come undone. Glory, glory to God. You praise God. Man, what a, man, what a great I went. Hmm. And you know what they're all thinking? Did they circumcise them? Did you give them the, the law? Well, what an attitude, huh? They, they couldn't see the work of God from their perspective. And so, so then a very wise, very seasoned man stands up. This is James. James. James was dead. He is. This is a different James. This is the, the half-brother of Jesus. He, he was not a believer in Jesus. You know, after Jesus was born of a virgin, remember Jesus was born of a virgin? A virgin? That Mary and Joseph came together as a husband and wife, had normal marital relationships and had other. The Bible tells us that. James is one of those. I call him the half-brother because he had the same, same mother but a father. James was not a believer in Jesus Christ. Until then. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that when James, the brother of Jesus, saw Jesus after his resurrection, he believed. And when he saw his brother risen from the dead, he knew that this was not just my my brother, this is God, the Messiah. You know, when he wrote the first epistle of the New Testament, the book of James, he didn't start off James, the brother of Jesus. He said, James, the servant of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he was referred to his old camel knees. He had old, old worn out knees, swollen knees, because he was a man of such fervent prayer. He was a man who walked with God. 
He was a pillar of this church. Galatians chapter 2 will tell you he was a pillar in this church. Organized the prayer meetings in Acts chapter 1 after the resurrection of Jesus. So when James stood to speak, he was a very Jewish man. In fact, in fact, his, the book of James was a book written to all the Jewish, Jewish believers that were scattered persecution. And his whole book, the whole essence of the book, is having a that outwardly expresses the faith that is, that is in, inward. So James understood this idea of living out what's in. He, he had a sense of some of those things. And so James stood up, and I'm sure Peter thought for a second, or Paul thought, what's he going to say? And I think all those Pharisees in there thought, okay, Peter and Paul take some notes because this is going to be good. Our man is standing. I'll give you these principles, and then I'm going to pray, and we'll go home. Here's the principles that James gave them. And these are the principles on how you resolve any conflict, what, in the church or in your home. Here's how you resolve the conflict in debate. Number one, the thing that James did was he listened patiently to both sides. You know why we never resolve conflict? Was you never shut up. Because we, we think, we think, revolve, we think resolving the other person just needs to do what, do what I want. And James just sat down, sat down and listened. He listened to both sides patiently. And when the Pharisees made a, made a good point about the law and the keeping of the law and how that certain thing can be an offense to God, he knew how holy God was and he thought, and he thought it's a good point. But Jesus already, but Jesus already did. It's a great point. And the debate on grace. James stood up. He, first of all, he patiently listened to both sides. Number two, number two, respectful. To both sides. He was very respectful. Notice what he does here. Look carefully in verse, in verse 13. After they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simon hath declared how at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out a people. Now, why did he, why did he call Peter Simon? And I'm asking that to you because I want you to ask questions like things like that when you're studying your Bible. Why did he call him Simon? Well, Simon was his, was his given Hebrew name. And he, and he was a pen of Hebrew conscience. conscience. Finding them that Simon was their Hebrew brother. That he had Hebrew roots. And showing, and showing, showing commonality. Any kind of debate, you've got to find the common ground. Common ground. And he was very respectful, and he said, Simon, the Hebrews like you and me, he is taught did. And then he goes on through this, and seated from the word of God, the foundation of what taking place in the church. Anytime that you come to a debate in your life, in your life, you better be able to go Bible and find what, what the Bible says at that. So James do. James says in verse number 15, this agree the words of the prophets. He said, look, Peter told us what God did. Simon told us what God did. And the breeze with that. 
And what he's he's doing is not in contradiction to the scripture. What he's doing is in unity and under the direction of what the Bible has told us. Listen to me very carefully. We don't have a denominational head. We don't have a a bishop. We don't have some hierarchy over the church. What I hold in my hand right here and right here is the ruler of all our faith and practice. I submit, submit to it. You submit it. This is God's word and hold it. That's why when I come to church, I hold a Bible and I preach from a Bible and we go through the Bible and we understand what the Bible says. Because this is not just a text on religious ideas. This is a church based on the word of God. James took them to the word of God. Of God. Hey, are you having conflict? What does the Bible say about it? And are you submitted to it? He went back to the prophets and he said, this is what the prophet, and he quoted from the prophet Amos. And here's what he said about Amos, said about Amos and we'll talk about it later, but look at what he said about, said about Amos. He said, in verse, in verse number six, after this I will return and will, and will build again the miracle of David, which has fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and it will spring up, that the residue of men might seek after Lord and all the Gentiles. Upon him is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all, all these things. He got up and said in the book of Amos, God had already declared to you Hebrew people that after this, after what? After this calling, calling out Gentiles. You see, that's what a church is. It's the ecclesia. It's the calling out. After this church age, age after this church time that God is calling out a people to self, that God is calling out Gentiles and Jews into one body in one during this age of the church. After this, I'm going to restore the temple of David. For David's family had a curse and the lineage of David had been broken. And if you read genealogies of Matthew and you read the genealogy, you'll find in Jesus that if Joseph had been his father, Jesus had no legal right to the throne. But because of the virgin birth through Mary, Jesus was legally entitled to the throne. And after this church age, King Jesus is coming back with his church to rule and reign in Israel, to sit on David's throne, to restore the glories of Israel, and through Israel, the whole earth is going to be blessed. Do you know that that's going to happen? Jesus is going to rule and reign in Jerusalem from David's throne with a scepter of righteousness and of iron, and he is going to be king. Listen, he's not coming here to take sides politically. He's coming to take over all of it. He is coming. So he was saying to the Jews, hey, your brother, your Jewish brother Simon is telling you what God is doing. Our Jewish prophets and our Jewish Bible told us what God is doing. And so after this calling out of Gentiles, he's going to restore the house of David. David. So he didn't use this language, but chill. (laughs) And let's get involved with this calling out. Get people saved. All of them. And notice what he said. He, qu- he quoted for Amos, and he said, all the Gentiles. Amos never one time alluded to, alluded to these Gentiles who became Israelites so they could be saved. He said, all, all Gentiles who call upon the middle of the Lord. And that is consistent with the gospel message that whosoever soever shall in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he gave them some wisdom. He said, here's what we're going to do, and we're going to talk about this, about this next Sunday. Here's what we're going to do. 
We're not going to put them back under the law. There's no burden. And both Gentiles were happy about that. They're not going back under the law. But what we are going to do is we're going to give them three things. We're going to tell them to abstain from the pollution of idols. We're going to tell the Gentiles to abstain from fornication. We're going to tell the Gentiles to abstain flesh with blood in it. We're going to write a letter and tell them that, that now that they're saved, these are the things that they need to, need to follow. Not saved. But these are necessary things. And that was very wise counsel. Many reasons, and we're going to look at it, at it next Sunday. So what did James do? To, what, did, what did this church do to resolve the conflict? Here they did. Number one, they listened to each other. Number two, they stated their, their cases from what they knew of the, script, the scripture. And in three, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, when they understood, when they understood God's purpose and plan according to his word, they sub- submitted to it. And then they said, said, now action to go out with one, with one heart and one mind. Take this message to those, those Gentiles. Teach them how to reach the world. And, and your mind, when we get out of this council in, in, in chapter 15, next week, and we get to 16, you're going to find, gonna find the explosion through the world. Because church dealt with controversy right. I think one of the great things that is holding the church back, let me tell you, let me tell you this. When Jesus, when Jesus ripped the veil in the and these Pharisees in the church were trying to sew it back up. And I think sometimes a hindrance to the gospel is God's people standing in God's way and not willing to let God do his work. His work. What is God's way? God's, God's way is to sinners by faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, if you are not saved, you cannot be baptized to be saved. You, can, you cannot be circumcised to be saved. You cannot keep the law to be, to be saved. You're going to be saved. You have to, you have to come as you, a sinner who is in enmity with God. Sinner who is deserving, deserving of death and hell. Sinner coming to Jesus Christ and saying, accepting you by faith, by faith, faith that your death, your burial, your resurrection was for my sin. I'm trusting you and you alone, you alone, to come into my mind to be my Savior. If you're not saved today, a prayer of faith, and whosoever come, and God said, God said, if they come to him, no wise cast them out. You can come to Jesus. And if you're a believer today, and you are concerned about the state of you needed to take that to the Lord and pray and seek His Word and ask the Lord, "What would you would you have me to do? How can I be a, can I be a part of purposes and plans of God and let and let God use Word to change you? And we need to make sure that we are in obedience to His Word and His Spirit. And if we'll do do with man, we look at this, at this world, man, this is all all impossible. But, but with God, nothing. Is impossible. We raise godly families. We can have revivals. We can see people come to Christ. We can see cities transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ. If the church will be will be obedient, and that's that's the great message of the debate. Father, Father, I pray to you that you would seal your hearts 
that we would take the Word of God today as it is declared as truth, and we would meditate, study on it. Lord, that you would use it in us with a submitted heart. Lord, help us to solve our problems with spiritual solutions so that we can go fall forward in the power of the Spirit and do the, do the work that you've called us to Our heads about, our eyes are closed for just, a, for just a moment. I don't want anyone to leave this service not knowing Jesus as the personal Savior. Who's here today would say, Pastor, I do not know Jesus Christ as the personal Savior. I've never had my sin forgiven. I don't know I've been born again. And I, and I need to be saved today. God has spoken to my heart. And that's me. Would you slip your hand up quietly? I'm not going to, I'm going to pray for you in a minute. I'm not going to come to you, but I want to know who I'm praying for. Would you slip your hand way up high and say, that's me. I don't know for sure, for sure that Christ is my Savior. How many of you say this this morning? Pastor, God spoke to my heart and I want to be, be a part of what God is doing in his church to preach the gospel to all people. I want to be a part of what God's doing in his church to be a part of the gospel plan God has had from eternity, eternity past and has brought me here now to this place to be a part of the work. And God is speaking to my heart about that. Would you just slip your hand way up high? I, I want to be God's work. That's my hand with your hand. God bless you, church. Let God do it in my life. If you're able to stand with me, would you stand quietly? I'm going to have, I'm going to have Melissa pray, play, and I'm going to ask you to pray. And here's what I want you to pray. I don't know how God spoke to your heart, but however he did, would you pray right now and say, Lord, I surrender to that. I surrender to that. Father, you know the heart of your people today. Pray for your spirit to have his will and his way in every heart. Lord, we're not just here to fill up some time in church and to check off our spiritual duties. We're here to hear from God, to hear from heaven, to do business with you. To be reproved and rebuked and exhorted to go out into this world and to live for you. Hear the prayer of your people today, I pray. Thank you for prayer today. I pray that you'll be with your people, the people this week, encourage us in exciting times. And how much more are these times enhanced by people who are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, doing the work that you've called us to do. Encourage your people, I pray. I pray. Lord, I pray that you would bind this church in a spirit of unity, unity. That with heart in one accord, we would work together in this faith of the, of the gospel. Speak to every one of us as we go in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.